0: Hi, I'm Maggie.
1: Hi, I'm Grace, and this is...
0: A Very Bookish Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to episode 47, oh my gosh, of A Very Bookish Podcast. Today is gonna be a little bit different than our usual episode. We are gonna be doing a book review of the book, You Had Me At Ola by Ola, I said that wrong, oh my gosh, um, by Alexis Daria. Um, we are going to be doing a little review Um, So we will have the timestamp down below of the uh, time when you can go to check out her interview. Uh, She will be on later in the episode. There's about an hour uh, clip that we talked to her about. Um, Anything else, Grace, before we get started into this spoiler session?
1: No, I think we're good. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for you guys to hear our interview portion because that it's really good
0: it was it was surreal like it was like i don't know like we have we've had katie on we've had ben we've had nisha but alexis just felt so like i don't know regal is what i should say (laughs) it's a different, it's a different vibe.
1: And that's what I like about all of these authors. And I'm glad that all of you guys are able to listen in and, and kind of see a little bit more of them. I mean, we read their books and we fall in love with all of their works, but it's different being able to hear them and being able to hear them talk about what they're passionate about, what they, what they, what they do. And yeah, it's it's pretty special.
0: Well, especially because with, um, you had me at Ola, you read this in like earlier in the year,
1: I read this in February. I r- distinctly remember reading it in February because like you guys may know, I'm a very visual person and for February, the month of love supposedly, I wanted to do pink or red books. That that's what that was my motivation for my TBR in February. And I had had you had me at OLA for like about a month or two. And it's like rom-com. And yeah, that, that basically kind of like started the contemporary romance kind of era. So to get so. started, yeah.
0: <laughs> we just had a little technical difficulties. I'm a little dumb, so this is clipping. Um, totally fine. I read uh, the book last week. So I'm, it's pretty fresh in my mind. And what are your first, what were your first thoughts when you read this book so okay
1: (laughs) um this book is based on um latinx main character she's boricua and jasmine is this actress who is trying to make it big trying to you know get her feet running under her and you know she gets a spot on this uh novella which is like a Hispanic soap opera. And she gets a part on it in Los Angeles. And she originally thought that she was going to be the main star of the show. And then she finds out that, no, she's going to have a male lead as well as what happens with all novelas. And this guy that is her lead is a pretty well-known telenovela star
0: is it in los angeles or new york it, her family is based in new york oh okay i thought she was in new york was she in new york this takes place in new york grace oh it does it does it does yeah. it does
1: she's from new york but she lives in los angeles
0: and then she's back in new york yeah okay because i was i was when you were saying that i was looking at you and i was like I I was like, uh,
1: yeah, it's okay. You know, it's been a while. Okay. Anyways. Um, anyways, uh, Victor, he's a pretty well-known telenovela star. He already has his like, you know, standing behind him. He already has an audience. Um, but he's struggling to make a comeback because of other things that happened in his life. And he kind of pulled back from like the stardom and all of that. And their first meeting was very adorable. Chaos.
0: It was cha- it was chaotic. That's what it was. It but it was, was a so meat cute. cute. It was a meat It was cute so event. cute. Like the trope of like them like being one of them being clumsy and like bumping into each other trope is always like such like a cute little thing, especially when like it's him who is like not the one who's like in the wrong, but he was the one who like spilled coffee on her, and it's like. And he's like so he feels so bad about it. He feels so bad. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth is hola. Hola. Yeah.
1: And like that's like I was like, ah, the title's right in there, you know? And I didn't um, realize that until like halfway through the book. I was like,
0: (laughs) I was like, oh he the first word he said to her was
1: hola. Hola. It was like it was like oh my god it was really really cute and I like that um one thing I really like about this book is that it's dual POV even though it's like third person Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it's dual POV so you do flip back and forth between Jasmine and Victor and um I love that because like honestly being inside Victor's head I mean number one oh I yeah I, I keep calling him
0: Victor because that's how he is
1: in his role. Yeah,
0: yeah in his role.
1: I know. In you were role? you
0: were saying you were saying Girl,
1: <laughs> it's down been down. a while. I
0: was like, are you talking for me, about sex For me,
1: honestly, I interject Jasmine with Carmen, even though they that's who is in the show
0: anyways of the scenes the the tv the when they're acting it out you get their yeah the the actor's perspective as the character so
1: you know you would think that i would know more about this book especially because it was one of my favorites but when that's another thing too like when we're watching their scenes when they're acting when victor's when ashton is victor and you see victor and him like you know doing all of his things and doing his scenes but like the feeling is there. The feeling is there. It's, it's there. Like you see it building up and you see that romance already like blooming for him. Number one, he already feels bad about how things are playing out between them. But then, you know, it goes, it goes fine. And then we have like, on, like in his real self, Ashton. Honestly, when I read all of his chapters, my anxiety level was so high. Like, I, it's something about his scenes and his like emotions because he's a very anxious it.
0: person. He's he, a, is. he is a very anxious per- person. And like, I related to it a lot because, like, since we're like basically all spoiling it, you kind of see like how he is suffering p- from PTSD and you see how that affects like his everyday life. And you see how I even, I loved how, um, Jasmine called it out and she was like you can't when um when he was talking about trying to be private, while also being a public figure it's very hard to do that and it's. And it's like you can't I mean we've seen we've seen like people hide their pregnancies and stuff Kylie Jenner so many people have like hidden their pregnancy Mindy Kaling has hidden the like father of her child and it's like, but you still have to give. In the public eye like that's what being a like as content creators we're constantly like telling everything about ourselves to like interact with our audience and like you see how the ptsd has affected him in that way where he's so. traumatized to even talk about like even mention a son and stuff that he doesn't even tell jasmine of all people and it's like I felt I felt when she was like hurt by that it's like I felt that I was like I understood. But like you're like, oh
1: Yeah, it, it was like a very like tough situation because it's just like you are in both of their heads. So you yes. know we're both. Which in is why I love dual PD,
0: Which is why I love dual POV, because like you can see it from both sides, and it's like you empathize with them and you're like, I totally get why you're doing this and stuff, but then you're like But it's also like. You gotta give her a chance. You you gotta give her a chance. She she wants to step up. And she doesn't. And like, you can't live in fear for your whole life. And I think, I think it, it, I think the way she wrote the book is like, you didn't understand it was PTSD. Like, a lot of people don't. Like, you don't understand that you're suffering from that and that you've been traumatized by a certain event in your life until you go to therapy, until you get help and you're like, and you realize like, you have like, A post-traumatic stress disorder where you're getting anxiety from all of this stuff and it's these minor triggers and like telling your girlfriend about your child like that's like it it was just the way she did it made it so beautiful where it's like even the reader I didn't realize it until the very end at the epilogue when he talked about it and I was like, oh my gosh, that explains everything. And I think it was beautifully written that way where it's like, because I feel like now the word like traumatized and stuff is such like a like popular thing to say like i say it all the time um but like those people who do suffer from it sometimes don't even realize it and it's a it's an interesting perspective when it comes to uh mental health in the book where it's not like the first thing you realize that it is yeah i
1: i liked how um um how do i say this how it just kind of blended in with the story in a sense that it wasn't, like, identified that that's what it was. So, like, yeah. the reader had to, like, discover it along with him. And I like that Alexis does that with a lot of different themes in her book. Like, we have all different types of characters with all different types of, like, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you don't—it's not identified as that one thing. Or if it is, it's—it's very with like with the flow. It kind of blends in with the story and it just goes along with it. It, It's not like this like standing pillar. Like this is this and that's that, you know. Because you get that with like all of the other actors on set and all of the other um, cast members that when they go out to hang out, like you see, like a lot of them are LGBTQ um, LGBTQ plus. And a lot of them are different types of Latinx that you have Boricua. you have like um hispanic um Mexican, and you have like all these different types of people, but they're all it's just a normal thing. It just kind of goes with it. Yeah. And it's like it's a pretty nice thing to see it from a like, yeah, it's a Latinx book but then you get all of this different kind of um, diversity I mean, in Yeah, it sense. shows
0: the diversity within it because. I feel like when we think of Latinx, we just think Mexican, uh, Spanish and Puerto Rican. That's all m- m- when you think like I'm a white person. So this is what I'm going to I'm going to. I a know a, I was like, like well, well I wouldn't
1: think that. But, but that that then I'm the like, point. well, duh, so grace because wife, you are.
0: Yeah, it's like, yeah. And that's the thing is like, I mean, I know that Latinx, but lot a lot of like regular like Americans who haven't been who haven't had like a bunch of friends from different like communities and stuff like they think when they think of Latinx they think oh that's just Mexican and Spanish Spanish as in Spain for those who don't know because I didn't know that for the longest time when people like oh I'm Spanish I was like oh so you're from Mexico and they're like no I'm from Spain and I was like oh I didn't know that because that's not something that in fucking texas they don't teach you that kind of shit
1: (laughs) yeah so for those who don't know there are a couple different terms that identify um spanish-speaking countries or latino countries so latinx latino latina it's a it's a term used for countries in Central America, mostly, and South America. Um, You can be Latino and you can be Hispanic. Hispanic is a term used to describe any country that is Spanish-speaking, Spanish from Spain. So for example, like Portugal and Belize would not fall into Hispanic because they do not speak Spain and Spanish.
0: Brazilians, they speak Portuguese, right?
1: So, so those would not count, right? Yeah. Um, but then you have Latino, which is only Americas. That's that's pretty much it.
2: Yeah.
1: And um, it's a different term and diff- different from how you identify as well like somebody like me I could choose to identify as Latinx or Latina it's up to me it's my choice um it's everyone's choice like there's this like huge thing right now with like the that uh, our whole community deciding if that's like are we validating that term or not and it's kind of like the thing where it's kind of up to you the same way that you would with like your your pronouns and things like that being forced to conform to latinx is you know may feel like you're taking away that part of yourself that is also part of your pronoun and part of your gender
0: you so say real quick what's the difference between latinx and latina La- latinx La- is just
1: um gender neutral it's just like an over it's, it's an umbrella term uh it's very very new it i want to say maybe in the last five maybe three years that's where it's really starting to like gain ground Mm -hmm. um but it's something very fairly new that people are still trying to adjust to it if they use it at all latina is you know female latin person latino is the masculine form of the word. It's just, it's just that because like Spanish is very masculine and feminine. So it's in the language. That's how it is. We have masculine words for things, feminine words for things. It's it's all depending on like the language itself. So how we we are call ourselves is also rooted in that. Latinx is just like a way to take off the the masculine and feminine word of it but it's new people are still trying it's it's a huge argument on whether to use it or not but me i'm fine either way i still (laughs) say i still i most of the time if i'm not talking to other people like in uh, the other communities i'll say latinx but if i'm just being normal. It's I'm Latina. Like that's that's what it is. Because you know,
0: do you think you could refer to like yourself as like I'm Latina, but when you're talking about the community, it's like Latinx, or do you, why is it? I I know we're this is kind of going away from that. this is very important to like the co- understanding like kind of the history behind like because a lot of people will like when they recommend books and stuff they they're like oh these are Latinx books and stuff, and like when you think of that it's like it's not just Latina and Latino, it's like both. So do you think you, like it's interchangeable really when it comes to using that? Latinx is just how you would use they, them. Yeah. And
1: that's the, like the, the, the simplest way to- That's what I was thinking. Cross yeah. that bridge. Um, you know, it, it, it's different for other people, you know. It, you can use Latinx as an umbrella
0: mm-hmm.
1: so that it's- identifying everyone yeah um or you could say latino i mean latino you won't people especially people within the community can't come at you Mm -hmm. for saying latino when that's what it's been for (laughs) the longest time and it's accurate yeah it's not like it's not a it's not a bad thing Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and you will most likely I want to say eight out of 10, you'll get people coming into your uh, comments out of eight out of 10 of those will be other people saying it's not Latino, it's Latinx who from people who are not in the community. Yeah. And they they do not matter when you're you're identifying it. They don't matter. You could say Latino, Latino America, it doesn't matter. But that, that
0: is the same thing. It's the same thing to me. It's the same thing. It's just like a uh, white, white thing to do when like I see comments of like white people talking about like uh, POC issues or uh, anything and I'm like, do shut the fuck up colonizer we're calling like just shut the
1: fuck up and- i mean you'll get you'll get people who are just like oh i'd prefer you to do it then if they say that then you'd be like okay then then yeah you know then you can correct it but if you don't know latino is fine latinx is fine too latinx if you want to be on the safe side you could say that it's no one's gonna say that you're wrong for it mm-hmm. people who are still mm, i don't know about that term yet can be fine but i don't right now it's kind of that issue where you can use both and it's interchangeable it's not like oh this is definitive this is the only thing that Mm -hmm. we can use and that's it you know because that's not that's not accurate either that's not how it works you know so if you're out there and you recommend doing rec videos you can use latinx just to be I don't want to say part of like the woke culture, but kind of, (laughs) kind of, you know, just to be on the safe side and just because that's what you feel comfortable.
0: Yeah. Identifying
1: that gender neutral term, it's fine. Mm
0: -hmm. If that's
1: the type of person you are, that's how you are. Mm -hmm. If you also grew up with Latino, then say Latino. It's fine. Yeah. That's fine. me personally i'm fine with both other people they're more like no i want it like this which is completely fine as well so
0: yeah i I don't care Mm,
1: (laughs) i'm fine um i'm always like that it's fine
0: (laughs) Anyways, back, back to, the, to this book. Sorry, Calvin. Uh, we will get back to read. We will get back to talking about this book. Calvin
1: can't get mad at us
0: for this. I book. know. If Calvin tries to come for us, you can't get
1: mad at that. Um, so we'll come for you. Um, back to this book, and we're getting this. I do want to talk about this. Um, I have heard from other people that they did not like this book because they felt that it was stereotypical. And to that, I have to say, she's writing from a, like, first of all, she's Latina. She's Latinx. Number two, the main characters are Latinx. Number three, she's Borriqueña. And so is the main character, you know?
0: I think there's a difference between writing a stereotype when it's like when it's like we have Elle Kennedy's book where she heavily stereotypes her characters where it's like it's not in their cultural setting. It is in out it's outside of their cultural setting and it's like a personality care like trait of the characters that is very stereotypical. Like that's that's the difference versus like this whole book is about the community and like how they live their lives. And I Mm -hmm. I, like, for me, I I wouldn't be able to tell if it's stereotypical, because I never get called like stereotypes like that. Like, I don't know. I know a lot of like the stereotypes when it comes to a setting outside of the community, but within the community, there could be like stereotypes that some people felt uncomfortable with, but was it like, do you know if it was Latinx creators? (laughs) (laughs) I got,
1: so, from this, it's mostly been people outside of the community saying this. And it's kind of like bitch, shut up. Because is,
0: do they feel uncomfortable? Is that why? Like they're like, oh, this is stereotypical. I don't know. They just don't understand that like it's not stereotypical because it's just like their setting, like it it's, might be. It is common. what it is. Like it's just you said you honestly, a lot watch the book.
1: Honestly, when I was reading the book, I felt like I was reading about my my cousins. I felt like I was reading about my And that's family, what's the really important part, you
0: know? like that's that it's, uh-huh. she's not writing for white white off right white, white <laughs> she's not writing for white readers to try and like bend to their idea of what the Latinx community is and uh-huh. what a Hispanic household looks like. Like, no, she's writing from her experiences and stuff and like, I'm sorry, but if that makes you uncomfortable and you think it's it, typical, like, it was take a seat. definitely,
1: it was definitely like when I heard that some people were saying this, I was just like, dude, shut up. Because um, n- number one, hundreds of families all across America who are Latinx families all have very similar. Very similar experiences, how they interact with each other, how they talk with each other. Yeah, their accents might be a little bit different. They might interchange a couple of words or different things, but we are all the same. We are all the same in the sense that, you know, we're here living in America, we have these customs that we keep to ourselves how we treat our family members, how we treat the women in our family, how we treat our our mothers, how we treat our cousins, you know, big families. Like like you see these things, first of all, you see these things on TikTok and then you get like all of these Latinx people in the comments saying these things about like, dude, for sure. Like that's exactly it. Like, One of like the biggest stereotypes that are out there I'm using quotation marks because when I use stereotypes, it's just. Mm. But one of the biggest things is like when you're having a party, and you say six o'clock. <laughs> I knew exactly what you were gonna <laughs> say, because this is true for you. This is so true for you. You cannot. You can't say six o'clock.
0: Say, you have to say. six.
1: You have to say like three o'clock.
0: Yeah. You've talked about this. You. Live I've this. talked
1: about this so much because it's such a, it's a huge thing. And people are just like, oh, that's a stereotype that we always show up. Like, but, but is it, great, but is it, but is it? Come on. All the time.
0: Like what? Time Literally. It's it? it's
1: not, it's not like, you know, a thing that's like, only like, oh, only Mexicans do it. That's not true because we all do it. We all no. do it. We all do it. Puerto Ricans. Hella late. Hella late. That's the number one thing. Salvadorians, <laughs> what? What? Come on, it's a thing, and it's and it's a thing that we joke about because we know, you know, and it's like okay, but, you know, I will give an exception to that rule because, like, if you're having food, if you're having tacos, or if you're having any type of food, and you say that the food dude is leaving at eight and he's serving food from six to eight, oh, best believe we're gonna be there at six. Best believe we're gonna be there at six. <laughs> We're not missing that food. Hell no. Okay, but but outside of that, another thing: huge families. It's a thing. It's a thing, and it's like, oh yeah, it's such a stereotype for them to have the huge families. But isn't? But isn't? It,
0: like I think not. also like a lot of like Hispanic communities are very rooted in Catholicism. Oh I'm yeah, saying. and Catholics love to make babies. Like my family, my my grandma's side is Catholic. She has like nine siblings. Like oh yeah. My, it's a thing. My friend has like nine, seven siblings as well, and she's Catholic. It's like, it's just a thing where it's like, not, I'm not saying all Latinx, Hispanic communities are Catholic, but it's like definitely Catholicism has, at least a lot of the uh, Latinx people that I know.
1: Oh, yeah, it's big time, ha- heavy Catholicism is definitely rooted in there. We got some Christians in there, too, but yeah. um, Pentecostals, too. But it's uh, is, is, is rooted uh, a lot that's of thanks to you know, colonizers doing their job and doing what they do. You know, it is it is what it is. But, um, you know, and that's part of it, too. That's another thing, you know, Catholicism and us having, like, you know, the jewelry and the and, and but but it's it's not outside. It's not limited to or exclusive and limited to it's not that and you know people have to realize is that when they come across things that are universal but more focused on certain things it's not a stereotype because you know it's not just one person saying that oh you know that's what it is and my thing also with like the spicy latina thing i'm kind of like iffy on that depending 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 on how it's written because I know so many, so many people who fit into the spicy Latina character, but it's not because that's the, what they're trying to be. It's just who they are. It's just what they, you know, grew up with being. And I do understand that the stereotype that it comes with it. And especially because of like, you know, how the spicy Latina is portrayed in a lot of media and movies and TV shows and other books and how harmful it is to other Latinx people. I completely understand that. And I do feel that pain that we can't be more than that. Um, But it's also that thing when you have a book with multiple diverse people
0: and also having that person there. It can't be stereotypical because you're representing so many of... The community you're representing
1: a lot of people from the community you can also have like the quiet latina who doesn't do anything but just do, does her work first of off that fits a lot of brown people it's not just like you know hispanic people or Latino people it's mm-hmm. a lot of brown people you know and mm-hmm. and it's and it's it doesn't we don't have a one shoe fits all with all of these things mm-hmm. and for people to kind of come at it and be like oh well you can't say that because you're not part of the community and yet you're speaking over people who are in the community who are saying like oh but we are like that. Mm-hmm. You you end up canceling out yourself by trying to defend someone who doesn't need you to defend them. You know? Yeah. Um oftentimes just be quiet. You don't got to say anything. Just, That's right. That's right. Really just, just just be quiet, you know? And but if if, if, if like, for example, if there's another Latinx creator out there who is saying, like, oh, but I really didn't like this book because it felt like this, because it felt like that. Okay. You could say that you didn't like a book. Just because it's POC author doesn't mean that you're forced to like it.
0: Yeah. I think that's also another issue, which I feel like anytime This is universal. Not just for, like, any reviewer but it's whenever like you're reviewing like even if you're a poc i've seen poc creators get demol- like demolished because they didn't like a like an author from a different um a, like yeah a different um race like i saw this um Forgot. I think, I don't remember, it was a Black creator and he was talking about a book and I think it was an Asian author. And he was like, I didn't particularly like this book. And then he's like, but if you try to come at me in the comments saying, I didn't like this because the author and because it's Asian, that is not true. I don't like this because X, Y, and Z, I just didn't get the plot and all of this. But you still see people coming in the comments where it's like, it's this idea that like, even if it is, a book written by a poc author it doesn't mean it's always good
1: Mm -hmm. it's it's establishing the reasons
0: why it's not a good book and separating that from the fact that they are a poc author
1: yeah like uh i'm gonna bring it up really quickly so we have jade fire gold um circulating Um, right now which is chinese mythology And a lot of people were very, were coming at this book because the language used in the book is not 100% Mandarin and that other things are not, um, uh, I want to say accurate Chinese mythology. But then you also have to, you guys got to remember this is a fantasy world that is inspired by Chinese mythology. It is not accurate Chinese mythology. If you want to look that up, then yeah, you can go look up historical fiction. You can go look up mythology, but this is a fantasy novel set in a brand new world with heavy, heavy influence on Eastern culture, Eastern Asian culture, you know? So it's not, and the author was saying this, that, you know, you you can't like 100% translate it because it's not real words, it's I'm making up this language I'm making up this world <clears throat> influenced by this culture it's not you know and people were coming at it and saying that, that that's not accurate in all of these things but it's just it's very different it's a fantasy book I mean you, know? you can
0: say that for like any like book based off of like Hades and Persephone like any but like Katie Robber neon gods is a literal like Greek mythology and it's still is heavily inspired and it does not follow exactly Hades and Persephone's story yeah and yet you
1: have people coming at it because it's not accurate yeah and because it's not a a European retelling you know and it's
0: and it's not like they're not actual gods
1: Mm -hmm. Spoiler alert! and it's kind of like that thing of like that a little bit of a little double double standard right there where it's just kind of
0: like guys guys it always, it's always like i feel like i feel like some poc authors when they write about their books are held to such a higher standard than white authors when it comes uh, to, like it's like because they're POC author they're because a it's protected. new
1: because yeah. it's new and because it's it's different and people aren't used to it and people don't know how to deal with it and people don't know what they're expecting when they're jumping into it, whether the POC author is doing the same thing as a, as a white author, you know, they're doing the same thing, they're creating their own world, they're, they're inspired by different types of mythology, they're inspired by different types of lore, but because it's not European-based lore, it's unfamiliar to us, because fantasy using other cultures hasn't been done often to where people don't know what they're expecting and then also being like, well, that's not accurate. And it's not accurate to one standard, but it's accurate to what I decided to make up.
0: I think a Chloe Gong, uh, These Violent Delights is a very good example where it's set in Shanghai. It is a Romeo and Juliet retelling, and yet there's still like its influence and it's set in like the culture, but it's still like, there are newer elements brought into it, but but I guess it's not that close because it's like, it's definitely like heavily like set in Shanghai kind of thing and about the time and still, but there's still like elements where you're like, oh, it's inspired by like a European centered Retelling? Retelling, I think I could say retelling. Yeah, but it's just, it's like, it gets so annoying because it's like it's I feel it's a lot of white people who like try to white knight this and like come for P- POC authors and they're like oh i'm speaking for this community i'm like. No, you're not. If, sure. I, if I go to your profile picture and I see you're a white person talking about POCs POC issues i'm sorry i'm not going to listen to you um, unless you have a POC person like backing you up and like hey here, this is a good like reference. Uh mm-hmm.
1: huh. And then like on top of that, let's say that the POC book gets through all of that, right? But then we go back to like the thing of like it having to be an actual good book. Like a a POC's job is not, you know, just making sure that the representation of their own culture is there, but it's also writing a good book. Like you have all of these other books that are just written and they're just complete trash to some people, to some people, yeah. to other people they might be great. But to yeah. some people, it's just like, no, this is not it. And and that's, you know, that's up for debate. It's up for opinion. So if you read You Had Me At Ola and you just didn't like it, that's fine. That's yeah. fine. But if you specifically did not like it because
0: the stereotypes, quote unquote.
1: Because the stereotypes, because of like how it was written, because of like all of the cultural influences that this yeah. book has, literally on every page.
0: But like, it's like, it's, she's writing about her own culture. She's writing about like, it, the, it's, back, it's her experience, it's, her life experience. Like, it's, it, that it's makes literally, sense. it's That's
1: literally cool. like walking in the life it's it's kind of like that sense of like you know yeah you know she's out there she's doing her things but like the way her mind works and the way that she talks and the way that she like holds herself and the way that she has to represent herself as a woman you know wanting to make moves wanting to you know make hefa moves you know she's Mm. doing all of these things number one she is body body Kenya you know that carries a load on who a person is it's not everything that defines her but it is a big load on it and on number one that is like a thing but then she carries herself and she does all of these other things and then you know it just becomes a staple for her right yeah and so we have her going along this journey trying to make it happen with this book and then also battling like this romance and all of these things but which is
0: I, which is why I I enjoyed this book and like diversifying. This is why I think like diversifying your shelves when it comes to having not just black authors, but um, Asian authors as well. And within the Asian subcategory, like all like Southeast Asian authors um, and stuff like that. I think it's so important to diversify because if you're not willing to experience another person's like perspective on their culture and stuff from another from like w- with reading and stuff because we've had i mean a year ago there was this big controversy about a book talk creator who said they could not relate to characters because x y and z and it's like if you can't do that you need to self reflect and stuff and it's like I don't know about y'all, but like me, I'm a bland chicken white person. Um, I have no seasoning in my, I mean, I'm Turkish, but that's still like, I'm white as fuck. But like, I find it so interesting to read uh, and like read he- read stories heavily influenced by other cultures oh because God. I I mean, I don't have a very heavy sense of culture, if you know what I mean, like I'm not religious. I don't have like a sense of like community and it it's fun to read about that and to like see the dynamics in you had me at Ola and to see the relationships that people have with their cousins and how the three of the primas of power are like bad ass bitches I can't wait to read a lot like adios I have it so we can read it I have the audiobook grace (laughs) but I just I think it's so important for especially white readers to read from other perspectives and and then like going away from like you know
1: like the culture and everything yeah because this book does have it and it has a lot yeah. of it you know and then like stepping away from that like what do we see beyond that because like again we read this book we enjoyed it for the storyline yeah. we enjoyed all of those things in it i personally enjoyed it because i felt seen i felt like this was me going out there i felt like this was me walking in her shoes, walking in Jasmine's shoes and doing all of these things. And I could connect with that because like where I grew up, I, I grew up in South Central Los Angeles. You know, I, I grew up where it was rare to see white people normally. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say it like that, but it, but it was kind of like that to the point where, like, majority of the people that I'd ever was mostly Black people, mostly Hispanic people, you know, that, that was what it is, and then when I would see Hispanic people, it wouldn't just be Hispanic people, it would be, like, a bunch of different people, it would be a bunch of different countries from Central America, depending on where I was, you know, and then I also went to, to high school in Koreatown, and then I got a whole bunch of, you know, other cultures, and, it, and for me, growing up, and just not uh oh, I hate to say it like that, but this is the only way that for it to kind of come across for me not to differentiate between different ethnicities. Well, I could, that's not a good way to say it either.
0: I know, I, I
1: mean, to look at people and then you don't first stop, stop yeah, because I see ethnicity.
0: Yeah, you don't have that where it's like it's ethnicity isn't the first thing that comes to your mind when you see a person yeah so that's thank you that's, that, that, that's, it, that's, that's what it is that's what i feel it's like it's it's there are people who live like that like from it took a while for me to get out of that mindset where i grew up in a very i mean i didn't grow up in dallas i didn't grow up in a very white community i had a lot of white neighbors but like my school we still like my two best friends I hate I hate I'm not gonna I hate to pull that trope I hate to pull the trope but I had two
1: oh great Maggie two black
0: best friends Anna and Chelsea who I still talk to well Anna no but Chelsea I love that bitch I love you Chelsea um she probably will never hear this uh but like I've had like I've had that thing but I went to Colorado and I had two black kids in my whole school I go to Kansas two black kids in
1: my oh my gosh it's like something I, I honestly when I go somewhere else and I feel that it because it's a different atmosphere you feel it's it
0: different
1: yeah when I you when feel I the people, privilege yeah you Smell
0: you you walk down the hall and you I just smell like
1: privilege. it makes my skin crawl yeah it just like it just I just feel it it's very very weird yeah. um but then where I went to school where i grew up you know we have all of these different types of people i am mexican and Mm nicaragüense nicaragüense is um nicaragua which is next to El salvador and let me tell you when i went to high school i went to high school in koreatown and a bunch of koreans we have a few mongolians there as well who i love them guys um and you know it was it was yeah it's in the middle korea town but you get a whole bunch of koreans and you get a lot of central americans and central america is very different but it's it's the same and different at the same time and it's central america is very different from mexico you and it's a huge thing between mexico and central america and mexico they see themselves as uh or other people see mexico as a little bit Whiter Mm -hmm. and Central America as just more Latino. Mm -hmm. And me that I'm in both, you know, it's kind of like very interesting
0: because I've never, I've honestly, I've never heard like oh, oh, as like too white. I've heard like, I've never Mm. heard
1: that. Oh, babe, I'm getting a history lesson right now. It's it's a huge thing, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it's kind of how any POC culture is. The lighter you are, yeah. the more, you I know, mean, it's a lot of colorism. It's, a, it's yeah. a de- definitely yeah. rooted. I had friends who grew up who were Oaxacan, which is like Mexico, but it's like, you know, a little more indigenous. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mexicans also view Oaxaca as like a different type of like... Uh, you're, oh, you're from Oaxaca. It's a, it's a thing, and yeah. it's it's so subtle. It's within the community, and you know we get it a bunch from each other. We get it a bunch from each other, and then outside of it, we get it too.
0: Duke actually, I just read the arc for it. It's coming out in December. Duke actually by Jenny Holiday. The um the main character is Mix, um, and she talks about how like with her white colleagues, she's considered as hispanic and then to her hispanic family she's considered too white because her dad is british i think and so she talks about like she talks to her um love interest she talks about that how she feels this she feels so torn between the two communities and it was very interesting to read about and it's like i have never experienced that so it's really it's It's really it's a necessity i feel like to read about that in books and to understand oh. that it's like i i can never empathize or i can i can i can empathize but i could never relate to it if you know what i mean it's
1: like- it's like a huge thing i mean i i i don't hate but then I, i'm also sorry because like you know we're turning this into like you know a cultural discussion but, but- it it, it it it's for people to understand that you know there's a lot that goes on within the hispanic community within the latinx community you know we got we got a lot of problems we got a lot of problems I mean, every and community it's has
0: clashed within the community
1: every every community has that and you know like you know what i was saying about like how different um countries in Latin america see each other they see each other very very different and they see each other kind of like with disdain a bit or they see each other like oh that we're the same it's very very different and you know me where i grew up and i was able to like you know experience everybody from um my teacher my english teacher shout out mr torres i miss you you were awesome My teacher did a great job with one of these discussions that we had about America and how, you know, somebody explained it that we were like um, all thrown together in a huge melting pot where everybody would, all of their cultures, all the people that would come to America, you know, immigrants and people who were born here or people who like, you know, whatever. We were, we're all dumped into this pot, and it's a melting pot. So we're all jumping in and become this slush of something new. And he said, "We are not. I don't see America as a melting pot. I see America more like a stir fry."
0: Yeah. And all of us were like, before.
1: "Yes, I've mentioned I think this we've before." we talked about this on the podcast. Okay. And he <laughs> was, was, like, like,
0: was like, "Who who told me this before?" <laughs>
1: me, me, you know, I'm taking this from, um Surfry, sorry, I interrupted. um no, 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 you're good, I hate being that like the white woman who interrupts
0: all. the. I've gotten that comment before, and I'm like, I- I'm sorry, I just need to speak my mind real quick i i've I've had that where like I was talking with Amon on a live, and we were both like interjecting into the conversation and then when somebody said stop we it. were
1: all we were yeah oh, yes. i remember yeah, yeah.
0: I, do you remember and that? i
1: saw i saw people commenting and i was just like hold up sh- shut up we're all talking the same thing
0: yeah
1: anyways so, okay you so, so so yeah we're like we're like a stir fry in the sense that when in a stir fry all the ingredients are added into the plate and they are still distinguishable as their own piece as their own and have their own like, item but they still come together to make one plate we are still differentiated by what we are but we are all essentially americans you know and it doesn't take away from what america is but it's adding something to it and i just i always bring that up because like people seem to forget that you know we're different
0: yet we're all we're all there fundamental like
1: we're different
0: we're different but like we're all the same we're, we're all the human same and like there's psychology 101 like we're,
1: we're all different but we'll have the same
0: human tendencies and uh-huh. all that stuff all of
1: us still log into our netflix and plus play, yeah. play are we, we still watching s- yes we all still like we all. porn we we all do you know <laughs> We, some of you don't like to admit it <laughs> some of, somebody don't doesn't, but it it is what it is and and I feel like people need to read books like this that are just very different but very similar because number one, we're reading about Jasmine, and in her like you know, Jasmine is playing a part right in a yeah. novella. Number one, a novella is Hispanic through and through is latinx through and through and that's what it is and we're getting through their stories and we're getting to see their experience like in hollywood industry but then you could read another rom-com about a white girl going through this experience and it's very different and yet still similar
0: yeah i thought it was very interesting how she doesn't she wasn't fluent in spanish but yet she still like was on like i thought that was a very interesting thing where it's like people automatically assume that if you're part of a certain race, like you're expected Uh. to know a certain language and stuff. And I think this is a very interesting perspective where it's like, she doesn't know, like she knows Spanish and she can speak it and stuff, but she's not fluent. She still had to like, even Ashton pointed that out where like she's processing it. And like you saw her process of going through and like saying it out and stuff.
1: She's um, a term we like to use. She is a no sabo. Child, a no sabo. <laughs> I'm a like, I don't to explain it because I've never heard that. I'm trying not to laugh as I say. <laughs> is a term no sabo means I uh, i don't know, yeah, but it's not no sabo, it's no say. I, mean, no I say. don't know, I, yeah. I don't know no sabo is something that a child would use when someone is talking to them in spanish and all they know how to say is is no sabo and they're also using the right wrong tenses Mm -hmm. and the wrong um conjugation yeah and so no sabo charts (laughs) hey there you go A no sabo kid Otros. is basically like a kid who grew up and who is Hispanic but doesn't know how to speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. My little brother Aaron is a nosabo. My brother Jacob is a nosabo. I am too. And are, wait, <laughs>
0: I don't know. I am too.
1: I am I a nosabo.
0: Always like because that you do a lot more.
1: Oh yeah, I do, but I'm still. Not, yeah, you're not. Like, totally. If you threw me, if you threw me back in Higarawa, I'd struggle for a little bit. But I know what everybody was talking about. You know, it's a difference because there's like no sabos that know what is being said, and those yeah. who don't. And it's it's different because like I, Spanish is my first language.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It is not my primary language. That's a difference too that people need to understand. First language is the language that you grew up with. That you that's the first language you ever mm-hmm. learned. My first language ever learning was Spanish, but then I went to elementary school Mm -hmm. and they only speak English and my, both of my parents are, yes, they are first generation, but they are English, fluent English speaking. My dad went to USC, has a whole degree in English literature, right? He speaks English better than a bunch of people. So growing up, we spoke English because yeah. that's what that's what it was did lose spanish i mean a little bit but yeah.
0: it's still there i definitely feel like when she was talking about how like she has to like process so i i've learned i grew up learning russian and now i am kind of like i know a lot like i can present myself that i, I know a lot of russian but it's like i can understand russian a lot oh like, yeah i can sit in and listen and fully like understand what uh-huh. is happening and stuff you make me try to yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna be something
1: like blah, 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 blah. uh uh yeah, yep. <laughs> that's that's me. You know, yeah. like Because when grandma will talk to me and then she'll forget and she'll be talking to my brother and she'll struggle through through English.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um she speaks English, but you know, she'll struggle through it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I'll jump in and then I'll be like, que necesitas? and then like she'll tell me and then I'll tell Jacob and then you know, then she'll start talking to me in English, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. I I speak a Spanish.
2: <laughs> the way you just said that, I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> and she'll be like, ah, but, but see, and then she'll go on and then say whatever it is that she was saying, you know, and and it's kind of that funny thing that you know we have to kind of go through but it's like you know you lose a little bit in there and you know we saw that with uh Ashton and Jasmine and you know we see them struggling but it's in dear I thought it was so cute that he was like don't worry it's okay I'll teach you We'll practice and I was like "Mm, give me one give me one
0: I loved okay Ashton was just Ashton was a dilf. I love how I like texted you and I was like, Ashton is a dilf. Like um, Ashton, yeah.
1: I love Ashton. He gives me anxiety, but oh. <laughs> I I found myself relating a lot, a lot more to Ashton than I did to Jasmine.
0: I feel the same. I feel like he... It's the, an- it's a, it's the it's anxiety. anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> it's the mental illness. It's it. the mental illness. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we related I mean, to. Jasmine struggles too, but it's just like she
1: does. It's not the same though. Anxiety, <laughs> anxiety brings us all together. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I did really like him. I like the way that he talked, and like, um, I like the way that he carried himself. Also,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, he fumbled the ball a couple times, but uh, you know, the,
0: the that the
1: first scene. Uh,
0: not even and in. not even
1: like going in
0: not, not even not going in literally like
1: and the communication a
0: humpback whale <laughs> humping I guess I could say because yeah this is, this is rated not for kids and explicit <laughs> I've, I've moved the podcast uh, to explicit because we done yeah. so much about sex.
1: look look this man got f- off by just touching her.
0: It's like the power Jasmine holds over him. Oh
1: my gosh. Um and like the communication, dude, the communication. I, the I fact that it. they like the, they talk about it and then like, you know, the consent and like, you know, this I won't I won't have like, you know, penetration and like she was like, okay. And the fact that he said that
0: Yes, I I think, and that's how we see where it's these little, like, and I also, the fact that, like, Ashton, like. (sighs) He's
1: something, I just love him. He's awesome. And he's so sexy.
0: And, and Victor, who he played, was also like that confident. Like Ashton, as a person, is not very like a very self conscious on, um, but him as like Victor and like Victor oh noticed like she was like when she was playing Carmen, she was talking about how like how like he like he an was ball. and like I love the trope of like playing a character and like being very confident and stuff. I love that shit,
1: so and the fact that like Jasmine related more to victor because of how like he carried him i mean yeah to victor because like he victor is more confident and more like knows what he wants and he's trying to go for it yeah and ashton is more like carmen more like a little more timid yeah. unsure and like but he's very affectionate and all of these things and then the fact that they're playing these on-screen characters of like second chance romance i was like we get two in one. Yeah, it was so good. And like, ah. Oh. By the way, like when I was reading this book, like you know, I I was I felt like I was watching it, and I loved it. It felt scene. like a novella It felt like I mean,
0: it, was yeah. so <laughs> it, it, it was so
1: dramatic. It was so dramatic. It was so dramatic. like, but, I, but novellas have to be. We yeah, have to have how, those. If you've ever we watched, have to. Like, have, a turkish novella <laughs> like, we, we have to have those you know teresa moments where you know like gasps yes, in spanish you know it's it's like, those they
0: open the door and they're like they open the door and they come in <laughs> and, like, oh
1: and it's just like you know and you know there always has to be like some evil plot in there and like resurrection it's it's a thing but going back to it it's just like when i was reading this book i kept picturing jane the virgin if you don't watch novellas. Watch Jane the Virgin and basically kind of like the feel of a novella mm-hmm. because it's dramatic too.
0: It's dramatic as fuck.
1: <laughs> but it's like fun and you know, lighthearted. And and that's what I felt like. I felt if you like Jane the Virgin, you will love You Had Me Aola. Yeah.
0: Because
1: it's, it's literally the feelings there, the Latinx families, you know, the, the twists and turns, and like you know, you know, we have all of these things happening, and and the kid and it's it, it felt like it and i for, at the beginning i kept picturing ashton like rogelio
0: mm-hmm.
1: rogelio is jane's dad and i had to like stop myself from picturing him like that because i was just like no he needs to be a little bit younger a little more handsome and i was just like hold up rogelio is handsome
0: well ashton's pretty <laughs> like ashton's like he talks about but,
1: but rogelio is Older. older. Oh, he's like 60. No, I want to say like 50. 50 is that bad? Yeah. <laughs> I but mean,
0: like Johnny
1: Depp considering, is like like 60. Considering my dad's 50. I can't be simping over a man that first of all is Hispanic. And like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It just felt a little too close. A little too close. A little, close little bit. A little bit. Would I actually simp for a man that age? and hispanic i don't think so if he was too rich. close to my dad
0: if he was rich
1: look look look, look i got issues okay but not <laughs> that much
0: <laughs> I you, in the podcast something that happened with tish <laughs>
1: Not that, much,
0: okay? um, Not
1: that much, okay? Not that
0: much. I think this is a good wrapping up point. Um, in the next part of the episode, we will be having Alexis Daria, um, who is the author of the book we have been talking about, You Had Me at Ola. Um, we will be talking to her for a while. And it was really, it was really great. I'm so excited for you all to listen. It was...
1: Oh. It was really insightful on yes. like, you know, number one like the writing process and things Mm -hmm. like that um but just kind of like you know what it felt like and we do get a little emotional sometimes me mostly because you know how I am um but it was like a really meaningful experience um I loved this book so much I love what the hex as you will hear in the next clip and this was the first time that I read a book where I felt like I didn't have to change in order to be that character yeah. you know and it's very very important and you know it's fine if people didn't like the book and it's fine if like you know it wasn't for you that's totally fine but for me for me this is it I felt yeah. seen and that's really something that um, any writer wants from their reader and that's what readers are looking for And, you know, you're going to have to do your work, you know, to go look for a book that shows who you are within the pages. And I feel like the more that we continue to do that, the more that we get to uplift other POC authors and uh, get to have them on platforms like ours and even bigger platforms and do our part as readers and consumers to help uplift their voices
0: because they need it, you know. Yes. And thank you to all of our listeners for helping us get to this point where we can interview authors like Alexis. Um, it was a process. It was, it was I've a never, process. I've never done this way of getting a guest. So it was a very interesting process and a learning experience for me as the manager. Um, but I'm so excited for y'all to listen to this next part of the episode and enjoy. Enjoy you guys.
1: Hey guys. Welcome back. We are now starting the interview portion of our episode and we have our very special guest. So we have Alexis Daria, the author of You Had Me at Hola and A Lot Like Adios and my personal favorite, the
2: audible What the Hecks. Welcome Alexis. How
0: are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. yes. When I tell you, when Grace got the audible, <laughs> when Grace got the audible of what the hex, and she's texting me, she's like, You have to read this. You have to listen to it. You have to. You have to. She's like, Maggie, it's so amazing. And she would not stop talking about what the hex. First, oh, it was like a weeks. It was weeks. And she would mention it on the podcast too. And she's like, Guys, y'all got to listen to what the hex. And she's just, she's obsessed with you.
1: I will tell I you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, It was definitely a fun listen. I find myself wanting to re-listen to it all the time, especially because it's just a short, it's
2: Mm
1: -hmm. it's right. Especially for the time right now, we need that like witchy family vibe. It's like spooky season, but also Miami. (laughs) Yes, exactly. That's exactly it.
0: Yeah. So kind of uh, to get started, do you want to give us like a general overview of who you are for our listeners who have not heard of you before or for those who have and want to hear more about you?
2: Sure. My name is Alexis Daria and I am a romance author living in New York City. Hopefully we're not going to have too many of the New York City sounds. I can hear a motorcycle out there already, but fingers crossed. Uh, I, as you said, I'm the author of the Bremas of Power series Starting with you had me at Ola, a lot like Adios, just came out um, this past September, and um, yeah, you know I've got some other books out there too, but those are kind of the big ones right now.
0: Yes, I, I, li- I listened to uh, you had me at Ola, and when I tell you, I could not put it down. Like it was just the writing style. I like have to give you kudos because it was like it was so having the. Uh, the scenes between the chapters too really helped make it like a fast-paced book to read, which was really great. We kind of talked about it before in the beginning segment of the book, but I really have to say you did a really good job with oh, thank you. writing. It was yeah. beautiful. That was actually
1: like the first time I ever like read a, a book where it had them acting out and the scenes written out. And I thought it was really good because like you could see the transition. But then also see like the actors, what they're actually, what Carmen's actually feeling during those scenes, even though like she's acting, but you know, it's really Jasmine, you know, it's still there, you know, and then it just, it just made it all come together. And I say this about any book that I love, but like, I am waiting for somebody to pick up the, prim- the primas of power to make it a tv show because I mean it's basically written there for them it just needs to be made
2: I'm <laughs> hoping you know
1: <laughs> manifest I... as, uh,
2: as an author I think well I mean I guess I can't speak for other people but like I always feel like that's the dream right yeah. to see your work brought to life in that way so hopefully but I... that...
0: yeah I think that's like I always feel like little kids it's always like I want to be an author and then I want to have a tv show based off of my story and like (laughs) I feel like that's I feel like that's like an ultimate dream too for authors is like oh to get that recognition of like oh I could put words onto paper but I can put the words into a screen too so it's definitely I definitely would like to see it on screen as well Yeah. yeah and writing
2: those scenes was um it was a big part of the book because I you know, when I first started writing it, I was like, okay, so they're going to be like acting, you know, at these parts and I'll just like, kind of like gloss over that. And then I was like, I don't know what they're doing. (laughs) I don't know what the show that they're on is like, I don't know what's happening on these episodes. So I had to figure out all of that first. And then I said, well, how am I going to show it? Am I just going to, originally I thought I would just write um, maybe script. Maybe I would just show them kind of, you know, just maybe saying a few lines and then cut and like that kind of stuff. And then I was like, oh no, wait, I just have to just show the scene and show it in their in, in their POV, but in character. So they yeah. are Carmen and Victor in those moments. And it also served a purpose for the romance because Ashton and Jasmine are really trying to stay away from each other, but they can't because they have to be on set, like getting yeah. very close. So it, at least gave us those moments when they weren't doing that on their own. And you got to see like how they felt about it. Oh yeah, they, those
1: scenes, I, when I was reading them I was always looking forward to looking for them. So
2: oh, good. Because I'm just <laughs>
1: like, to like plan that out, it's like a crucial part. Like it, it was integral to like the story. It, it was integral to the whole plot line. So like, you said you had to kind of like plan it out later. So would you say your writing style, are you more of like a plotter or do you kind of start off with who you want to, like your characters first and then like the story develops on its own? Or do you know those main scenes along the way that you want to hit and then kind of fill in the gaps? Like what type of writer are you?
2: I am a major plotter. I need to know my characters as well as I possibly can before I start writing and I need a sense of the entire story like scene by scene breakdown even if what's happening in that scene is kind of vague mm-hmm. like um, for what the heck's I had somewhere it was like they go to the bachelor party and try to exercise the demon like And then I got to that point and I was like, I don't wanna research exorcisms, but I have to now because I didn't put it in my outline. Right. (laughs) And I don't know how you do one. So that there's still, you know, some room for, and it does of course change sometimes uh, while I'm writing. I had to re-outline at least a quarter of a lot like Adios as I was writing it. you know, where I just kind of said, okay, this thing changed, and I'm going to leave it that way, but now I have to look at my outline, and see if I have to move these things around, or take out something I planned, and put in something else, mm-hmm. um, so, and I do a lot of character work, so I'll write backstory scenes, I've got all these backstory scenes of Gabe and Michelle, from when they're like, you know, little kids, to high school students, to Gabe breaking up with his girlfriend, who gets mentioned, like, one or two times, you know?
1: I love I that. though. That because, scene right now that That's great though, because like, I'm pretty sure like those scenes, those like, even though you don't end up using them, they kind of help you figure out how the character would react in certain scenes, what they would say more of like what their personality is and what they're planning on doing with whatever situation comes across. Like, I think that's like really important. I, I too am a plotter. I like knowing Every single detail before I write anything out. Um, and like with what the hex, like you had all of this brujeria, but it felt so familiar. And I remember you said like on your Instagram live that you had to make it seem like it was already there and you're just kind of stepping into the magical world where it's very familiar you don't have to like start all over because it was a shorter story it was a novella but it just felt like it could exist all on its own and you're just seeing like the little window into it so I think that process is like amazing and you can see that it works because so far like all of the stories that I've read I feel like i every character every plot line is so strong on its own that is just like i'm just popping by but they're existing completely on their own being and living and i'm just here like to say hi and see this one segment of their life so i really enjoy that about your writing style
2: for sure thank you so much it's yeah and and for me that's where the planning really comes in because you you know these characters are people before page one Mm -hmm. and I need to know who they are before I, I start on page one, Um, you know, and I, I will say for the record uh, with what the hex, I feel like a lot of people are sad that it's so short, Um, but I was only hired to write (laughs) 20,000 words. Yeah. And I gave you 22 because we put in some extra world building and some extra romance and emotion. (laughs)
1: I took every single word and I tried to go very slowly with it because I knew it was a very short audible audible. It was like maybe
2: like two hours and a half, I, yeah, think. I think. And two hours and 45 minutes, yeah. somewhere around there, but not even three
1: hours. Not even three hours. And and when I finished, like everything, you know, it was a full story, but I was just like, I want to know more about this family. I need to know about the other cousins and like the rest of their lives. I need to know about the uncle. I want to see more of them because they each character was just like, I love them so much. You always say, like say that it's like um, Adam's family and um, the Kardashians. And I'm just like, that is such an accurate description of them. Cause they're just like, you just can't stop watching. You want to keep watching them. You want to keep knowing more about them. And so, but I do, I did hear that you are planning to try to push this out to make it an actual printed novella.
2: I am at least going to do an ebook. Mm-hmm. I print is a little harder to, to do something that's that short. Yeah. Um, but my thought is, if I write more of them, <laughs> I can then bundle them and do a printed version. Um, uh, I so would amazing. definitely be purchasing
1: that in every edition that it comes in. Just putting that out there now.
0: When I tell you, Grace is obsessed. Like Grace <laughs> is obsessed with what the heck. It's a little bit. She's she's definitely a, a witchy vibe girl. So it's. Good. I mean, me too. Yeah.
2: No, I get it.
0: Um, uh, so I was gonna ask so I can definitely tell is like what is your favorite process and or what is your favorite part of the writing process because you talked a lot about planning but like do you just like really hate planning and love the writing part or do you like the final like version and doing copy edits or what is like your favorite part of it
2: so my favorite part is actually revisions because you know when I'm writing the book um so I do all of this planning which can be a little um like stressful sometimes. You know, cuz I'll get to a point and I'm like, "Who are you?" <laughs> you know, "Tell me who you are." And yeah. it you know, it's like you're trying to figure out who this person is and like build a complete person but also like you know, I only have what I have here to go with. So I'm like Do they have that? No, that doesn't feel right for them. Like, you know, does she want to be a pastry chef? Does she want to, you know, quit her job? Like whatever she wants. Um, So that part, it is a lot of work. And then I draft the book very, very quickly like in a fiery blaze of glory, really as quickly as I can because by that point I'm down to the wire and I have to turn it in. Right. Um, And I'm like, I just got to get the words down. I can fix them later. And that fix it later part is where I remember because the first draft feels like chiseling every word into stone. It's like, mm-hmm. it just feels so hard won. And then when I get to revisions, I'm like, oh, this manuscript is actually made out of Play-Doh. And I can just like change anything. And it's very malleable. Mm-hmm. Um, and that for me, that's where the magic happens.
1: Oh, okay. And... I know, I get this advice like from any author anyone who's writing it's like always finish the first draft just get it in get it down and then the editing process you can always clean it up and add things into it but it's just that first draft getting over that hill and completing that part it's like the hardest part because I mean I want everything to be perfect I want it to make sense and I want it to be all written right. And so I'll find myself like writing something and then like wanting to go back and reread it to see does this make sense? And I have to stop myself and just be like, no, just keep going, just try to get through with it because it definitely like holds a lot of people back. But that I think editing, you have process.
2: To, I think you have to know yourself too. Yeah. For me, the quest for perfection, especially in a first draft, is going to stop me you know, I won't ever get anything done if I'm trying to do that. And that's, I think sometimes the hardest part every time I write a new book is I have to let go of that quest for perfection Mm -hmm. every single time, again and again. But I think there are some authors who do edit as they go and that's what works for them because I don't know how because it's not how I (laughs) operate But I think you need to know yourself well enough and do the thing that's going to get you through whether that's editing as you go, or whether it's just blurting out a first draft, whether it's plotting, or whether it's pantsing, you know, or being a discovery writer, whatever it is that's going to get you there, then that's what you do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, Grayson, Grayson mentioned this on every single episode with an author, we're writing a book, and we're heavy plotters, and we've literally been stuck because, like, I, I feel like I need to edit as I go because that's just how my brain processes but I think I need to like let it go and just be like just put as much like all my words out there and then I can like go back and change it because I always like think of something and I'm like oh crap I want this in there and it's like well now I have to write it immediately because I'm going to forget about it later so it's definitely like going to be interesting as a writing well, process.
2: Write it down certainly because Some people are like, oh, if it's like really important for the story, I won't forget. And I'm like, I will always forget whatever great idea I just had (laughs) before falling asleep at night. So I have to write it down. So even if I have an idea for something further back in the story, I'll say, okay, that's actually a great idea. I'm gonna go back, put a note to make that happen. And then I'll put a note wherever I am and say that I'm proceeding from this point as if that thing happened. Mm-hmm. So that way, I then only have to go and change. You know, if it's like a big change, let's say, I only have to change however much space there is between where I make the change and where I am now. Oh.
1: Got it, got it. Got it. Yeah. yeah, it's it's definitely a tough part. Uh, I am a heavy world builder, and so I want to know how things work and oh, like the magic system and making sure that it makes sense and it's not going to be like where a reader's coming across it and then being like that doesn't make sense like how does that magic system work or things like that I want it to make sense because I want the reader to enjoy the world as much as possible and feel like they're being put into this this book and they're going along with the characters so I always want to make it seem I focus a little bit too much on that and I feel like like you said, you have to know what kind of writer you are and what, what works for you. But I, I always have those like 1am thoughts that just like pop into my brain and I have to open up my notes pad on my phone and type away and just, then I come at it in the morning. It's barely makes sense, but it's, it's something there and then we'll fix it. We'll, we'll come back to it. We'll fix it later, but it's there. It's there.
0: I love the notes app on my phone. For that reason. <laughs> I use voice memos because I like I I I I, very, I think of scenes a lot in my head because that's how I visualize like when I'm writing. I visualize like a movie playing in my head, and so I write like how it is a movie. So I always I like I I worked at Barnes Noble, so like I remember one like me during me a break. Too. Oh my gosh, I love it was it was fun for a while, and then you, the customers you're like oh. <laughs> I don't want to be here anymore. You know
2: what? Retail is just hard.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh, retail is so hard. Hopefully gonna get my a job back here where I go to university at. But um kind of that like I love the voice memos because you just talk and you play the scene out in your head and you just say it and then I just go back and I just write type it out as I listen to it. And then I'm like, why did I come up with this? Sometimes I'm like, like, this doesn't really make sense, but okay, we're just going to type it down. But um, you are a romance author. So what do you think is like the key to writing a believable slash relatable romance?
2: I think it comes down to the characters. You know, we we have all read and watched romances that have the most outlandish situations. And you're just like, all right, I'm along for the ride. I'll go with it. But as long as the character emotions ring true, we'll follow along. So you really just want to focus on um, the growth arcs of your love interests, regardless of whatever kind of situation they're in.
1: Yeah, I definitely liked um, your story and you had me at Ola with uh, Ashton dealing with like his things and his trauma and um, trying to protect his kid and then how that transferred into his relationship with Jasmine and how that was kind of like a tipping point for them on whether their relationship would thrive afterward. And I really liked how um, there are certain romances that I'll read where their character arcs have nothing to do with each other But that they'll end up coming together and working through it like an actual partnership like an actual relationship and I feel like those are the couples that like you really root for, because you see them working together as a unit and I feel like that helps create like this you know, readers, we're, we're, we're taking in these romances and we're trying to learn from it. We're, we're learning from what we read and to create like healthy relationships that a reader can walk away with is that sense of like equality in a relationship and that we're, we can work together. We can be a team. Yes, this is your load that you have to carry, but you don't have to be alone. Like we can share this and I'm here for it. Whereas other romances were they solve their problems, but not working together, not communicating, it's really unsatisfying because it it doesn't feel like there is any connection between the two characters. And I feel like that's something that can tell the difference between a really good romance and one that they may have had a happily ever for now, but you don't see the couple lasting Mm -hmm. after the page, the last page of the book.
2: Yeah. that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about it, uh, like that, but I think, you know, what is more romantic than, you know, the people in the, you know, the love interests learning to grow into better people together or from each other, you know, they're helping each other be their best selves. So you want to see them doing that together on the page and, uh, you know, even though their arcs may be different, even though their journeys might be a little different, like you want those moments of connection.
1: Yeah, and I definitely feel like it makes the reader feel like this is something that is special and it's not something that everyone will get, but it's something that we strive for. Like, you know, readers will always be like, oh yes, that's my book boyfriend. I totally wish that he would do that for me. But it's also like how... the the other the main character how they deal with the love interest as well like how they open themselves up and how they allow themselves to grow with that person as well it's not like oh yeah that person does everything for me but then you're very unevenly yoked but the really good ones are the ones where they both have something to work on and they both help each other whether it's not like oh I'll it's not I'll fix it for you it's more like we can work through it together. And I feel like those are, those are the really good ones. Yeah.
2: yeah, I prefer the ones where, um, you know, all of the main characters, however many of them there are, have have something that they're working on. They don't all have to be the same in terms of magnitude,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but, um, you know, especially, because I do tend to write more in dual POV. So... Which I love, yeah. I love, thank you. So, you know, then you do want both of them to be working on something together. And the times where I don't write dual POV, it's usually because it's a short story or a novella.
1: Yeah, I was, I was waiting for the, the second POV and what the heck? and I was okay. just like, it's a short story. I have mm-hmm. to
2: relax. Yeah. I can't have everything. It also is definitely more Kat's journey because Kat, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of the romance, Kat is the one who's like, what? He's my nemesis. And he's like, I love you. <laughs> Which is like the best. I,
1: I love that. And I love that um, you've mentioned this before on, on other platforms, how like, because it was a novella, a way to kind of like write novellas is that you have the interest, know e- they know each other before the book even starts. So that way it's easier to kind of like jump into the actual romance of it. And so I feel like that was like the first childhood rivals to lovers that I had read. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is something I did not know I needed. And it was just the banter, the tension between them. It felt like I was watching every second of their day together. And I knew most of their life together and I could see it play out of them going to school and, you know, everything else happening and how their romance developed because, they had those little moments along the storyline that hint to we know each other from before and so that romance that beginning part of the romance was already like cut out so you can get to like then the meat and potatoes of their story and I thought that was like really interesting and um sorry I just heard my doorbell ring but I'll let my dad get get that
0: <laughs> I didn't hear it so you're good
1: okay okay <laughs> We're fine, Um, but um, I wanted to ask since we're kind of hopping onto what the heck's. um, You said that you kind of um, you're hoping to continue the novellas. Um, Do you plan on hoping if it's a possibility? We're we're saying if more like when, but if you do end up doing these stories, do you end up uh, wanting to focus on other family members or? kind of continuing with Kat and like how her life continues
2: after what the heck's. Um, well, because I'm a big romance reader too, I always think of romance series as like each thing focuses on a different couple, right? That couple got their HEA or their HFN and now we go on to like the next one in the group. So I do have a couple of ideas for um. A couple of cat sisters. Um, It's just the logistics piece, you know, Um, uh, uh, whether I sell more of them and timing and all of that stuff. So I love this series. I came up with the idea for it five years ago.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, And it was one of those things. This is why you got to write things down. I jotted it down in Google Drive and we had an opportunity to sell something and my agent was like, all right, what do you have sitting around? And I just went and I like scrolled through, you know, my old like ideas and works in progress. And I was like, oh yeah, I had this idea five years ago that I never did anything with because I didn't know what kind of format it would be. If it was going to mm-hmm. be like YA, if it was going to be in New York, if it was going to be in California, you know, mystery, paranormal, whatever. So I was like, oh, okay, I can dust this off and, you know, flesh it out based on the format that they're looking for, which was a 20,000 word rom-com written for audio. Mm -hmm. And they were down with me putting in some paranormal elements, which is like really all I want to write is paranormal. (laughs) So (laughs) I was so excited to finally get to do this because that's what I started out with, but it's not what was selling when I started publishing. So Mm -hmm. I started writing contemporary. So this was was a real treat. Um, And yeah, I would love to do more.
1: Uh I I speak for everyone and yes, we would also want that very, very much. Just putting it out there for whoever is listening, whether it's Audible, if you're listening to,
2: we would want more. Post a review on Audible. That's where they see it. I know they look.
1: Everybody needs to be commenting on there because I know I've been talking about it a lot. You guys better go listen and go. <laughs> Um, so you talked a little bit about like, um, how the publishing kind of like, you weren't able to publish paranormal when you first started out and you had to switch over to contemporary. Um, can you talk a little bit more about like, what advice you would give to other writers who are looking to get published? And like you said, if they have to switch over to a different genre to get published what what is looking, what people are looking for right now, what kind of advice you would give them?
2: Um, okay. So there's three things. First, you want your community, right? Like what you two have and what I hope many of your readers have where you've got your writing buddies because this can be really hard work and hard industry and you need those people that you can go to and be like, "Ugh, I had a hard day. And also like when you have a great day, you can celebrate together. So you want your community. Also work on your craft. Write a good book. Make sure that you are still learning about what goes into writing. Um, I am still doing that. I love taking classes though. I'm listening to one on deep POV right now by Ron Parrish. Um, and the other one would be to just educate yourself. You know, know what's going on in the industry, whether you are seeking traditional publishing or indie publishing, I think it behooves all of us to know what's going on in general in mm-hmm. both areas. Um, and just stay appraised of the industry news because this is a business. And, you know, people who have a business should know what's happening in their industry. Yeah.
1: And um, kind of going off of like that, being a Latinx author, can you uh, talk a little bit about how, like, how you feel about bringing your culture and your experiences into the publishing world? specifically in this romance genre where romance is not really looked as as such a great genre. And then on top of that, it's more white cis um, romances that are being written and you bringing your culture into that industry and into that genre. Uh,
2: I will just say that it's not easy and it is often frustrating, Um, but it's important for me to do it. Um, And sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes you have to tell people who you think of as like being like a little higher than you, (laughs) uncomfortable things to point it out to them because they don't know, Um, but it's worth it. And for me, you know, I'm writing the books that I wish that I had had when I was a teenager and, you know, when I was younger, you know I loved reading genre fiction and I just wasn't finding these characters there. So I'm trying to write those kind of books. And it just means the world to me when readers read them and say, like, I've never seen this before. You know, I felt so seen here. And I'm like, I love that. And also, here's all of these other authors that I know that you should check out too.
1: I, I don't want to get emotional, but um... I know I saw
0: Grace tearing up and I was like, oh no, you're going to the waterworks.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I kind of am. I don't want to cry, but it does. I am going to (laughs) cry. It means a lot when you get to read like stories like you. And like when growing up, you, we, people of color, we get used to like not seeing ourselves and having to imagine ourselves being there whether it's on the screen, whether it's in books that we write, music that we listen to, and all of these things, you know, we, we want to see ourselves out there and we don't, and then you stumble across something and then you do see yourself and you see, you, you feel seen and you feel like that's me. And it feels like, like so amazing. I know I'm crying, but yeah, everything- every time I read like something of yours and like a whole bunch of other authors who are latinx like me it just whether they be from different countries it still feels like us and it feels like so important and I want to thank you so much for that
2: thank you Grace it's it, it is it's why I do this um and why you're doing this And, you know, I was thinking about it the other day, I was like pulling out all these books on my shelf by, you know, Latinx authors that I could like try to take some books to find pictures. They did not come out well. And I was thinking about like growing up, my mom did have full shelves of, you know, Latinx authors, Puerto Rican authors. Um, But there wasn't anything on there that for me like, 10 or 12 or 15 I was like that's what I want to read you know like they were like more like history books or cultural uh, studies books or things like that Um, we always had a copy of when I was Puerto Rican the Esmeralda Santiago memoir sitting there and I will tell you for the longest time I was convinced that it was a picture of my mother on the cover (laughs) And that she just like, wasn't telling me for some reason, but I couldn't figure out why she would be on there. But like, I was like, did she read this book? Is this like about my mom? Like I, it's not, <laughs> my mom just happens to look like her when they were young, but you know, it wasn't like, you know, I was like reading Anne Rice and Nora Roberts and like um, the Babysitter's Club, <laughs> you know? things like that and there was nothing like that on there with uh latinx characters you know the kind of stories that were out there were like you know more kinds of like takes on west side story and like who yeah. is that? um or you know i'm not even getting into like all the other stereotypes because <laughs> we know but we know we know they're a bunch but that was That was what I wanted. I wanted there to be romance novels, mysteries, sci-fi, fantasy that featured Latinx characters, and you know, more like not just like cis white characters. Um, So, I just feel like I have to be in the arena, contributing to that as well, and uplifting the other people who are doing that.
1: Yeah, and it's it's really important for like readers like all across that because in your books it's it's not just latinx characters but it's like a whole mix like latinx covers so much right. and we're very very different and yet we're very similar but i love that in your books we have like everyone can be put in there even like lgbtqs sprinkled in there but it's just so normal like that's what it is it's not like looked at as like oh like here's this one person who's this and here's this one person who's that it's just like we're all here we're all normal we're just it just so happens that that's what it is but I contribute more to the story than just my sexuality than just the the color of my skin than just my culture and I loved reading that in your books and in, in many other Um, POC authors who can show like this is what life is we're more than this one aspect of us like there is so much more to our stories and more to the stories that we're telling than this one thing you know because like at the beginning when we started seeing like you know more people of color centered books it's just like you would get that token character. And it's just like, but there's more, there's more to to that person than just that, you know? And I love that in your stories where you have a big group of people, we have so many different types of people all across the board. And I feel like anybody who can pick up your book will be able to like enjoy that part as well as enjoying like this way that the story is going because it is important. Like, I mean, you guys saw, like I got all emotional because like, you know, it's, you don't know growing up and not being able to see yourself in the things that you're passionate about. You really have to look for it. You really have to like dig under, dig deep beyond what is pushed at you with the um, cis white stories to look for something that genuinely you love. And if it's not there, then you can, you can make it, you can direct it, you can write it, you can make a script for it, you can do it yourself. If you don't see that, that gap is being filled, then you can do it as Somebody who also wants other people to see that for you, and it's it's important. Whether you think maybe no one's gonna look at this, maybe nobody's gonna see it, but then people do look for it. People are waiting to see more of it, and it's important. So, yeah, I just wanted to say that again. Thank you. I'm sorry you had to see me cry, but no, thank I you. I <laughs> cry a lot. It's, it's hoping I'm, I'm very emotional. It's 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 yeah um Maggie do you have a question because I've been Um, talking a
0: lot well I just I I do think it's definitely like important and I've noticed like recently like I'm a white woman yes but like I come from like an immigrant like my father's an immigrant and like I'm I'm cis passing I mean I'm bisexual like I've had like I've had other partners and stuff and it's like I started read I've I've been starting to see more books coming out recently that are like okay like this started to like represent me because it's definitely the lgbtq plus community has definitely gone through hardships as well but um but i do think that like do you think that recently we've seen you talked about in the publishing industry there has still been hardships when it comes to being a poc author have you seen though a little bit of like because of book talk especially with like the amount of like readers requesting like more diversity when it comes to books and stuff? Have you noticed that there is a, there are changes within the publishing realm? Have you noticed that?
2: I think in the last few years, uh, we have seen some changes. I would like to see those changes both continue and grow. Yeah. Um, I have also noticed, um, hmm. okay, so when you go to a book talk table in a barnes and oh, right? right don't even that they have started. those now right with a lot of the books that are getting mentioned um you will notice that there are certain voices missing from the authors who are shown on those tables that's mm-hmm. yeah. all I'm gonna say um you know so algori- algorithms uh they can work one way but they're not always working another yeah. um and I think there's definitely still a lot more work to be done, mm-hmm. um, but it does not feel at this moment like there are ways to really advocate for that mm-hmm. as much as there have been. Um, so it's something that I, I've been thinking about and talking about with some of my fellow authors. Um, but you know, I think that what you're all doing, giving a platform to authors, um, you know, from different cultures and different backgrounds uh, is wonderful. And like one of the things that helps authors get seen, right, because, you know, that's always the thing, you know, we put a book out there and then we just hope that people find it. Um, Yeah, (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's a very heavy, it's a very heavy topic to talk about, but I think it's definitely like important. And I definitely think that like, going forward like i've definitely tried to like since been coming on book talk and stuff like i've definitely been able to like nisha sharma i've never heard of her before and then i followed her on book talk and i was like oh my god ma'am i will pre-order your book immediately like yes like thank you and i think it's just it's so important especially like for when it's... oh oh yeah there we go, my mic just went whack. I think I hit it. But um, I just think that it's also like important for like creators to like push for diversity and especially like not repeating the same three books over and over again. It's definitely like when I worked at Barnes Noble this summer, like I would go look at the book talk table because I would put books out there because I was I was the one like doing all the book talk, smut talk stuff. And I'd look at the table and I'm like, I did not put this book here. Like why is this book here, this is like a book that like I don't want on here like it has been shown thousands of times everybody knows where it's at already it doesn't need to be on this table. So I would constantly be like removing books and i'm like and then i'd see it the next day and i'm like why is this here and then they're like management put it here and i'm like.
2: So first of all, I 100% understand the feeling of ownership that you have over a table. Yes. And you're like, (laughs) who messed with my table?
0: No, I I did the like spicy reading ladder and I like went back to like my old Barnes & Noble like last week and I like saw it and I was like, who's messing with this? I was like, y'all just needed to take this down because this is not right. I was like, I looked at it, I was like, where's the diversity? Like, where, where, where is it? And I'm like. I it's a white male who's doing the ladder and I'm like, I don't think you should be doing this ladder, sweetie. But yeah, it's definitely like I it's definitely everybody taking those like little steps forward, I definitely think is very important. So yeah. Grace, do you want to ask the next question? (laughs) Uh, Yeah.
1: Um because I keep going I'm a big magic person and I keep talking about what the hex because it's that it's it's October. Okay, guys, it's it's October. We love the magic. We love all of that. Um, So can you talk a little bit about like how it was to write the magic system and make it seem like it was known and kind of like seamless to kind of step into keeping it short for the sake of the novella, even though you added a little bit extra, (laughs) but um, can you talk about like what was your process with kind of finding what would fit for this story?
2: Well, it was something that I thought about a lot uh, going into this because writing for audio is technically a totally different experience, right? There are certain things to think about like not using too many dialogue tags mm-hmm. and starting with an action tag for the character before you have their speech so that way you know who's speaking. Mm -hmm. Um, things like that just that are just from a technical craft perspective Um, but then in terms of both the romance and the magic system it is just a it's it came out to 22,000 words it's short and like you mentioned earlier um, when I'm writing shorter things I try to make sure that the characters at least already know each other Mm -hmm. because I know that some people can manage to have people meet on page one or, you know, and then still tell a satisfying story in a short amount of time. That sounds hard to me. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, they either know each other from childhood. They know each other from social media. um, They already have a crush on each other, you know, something like that. So that way we can just kind of jump them in and it's not weird if they just immediately start kissing. So not that that would be weird, but you know, you want it to be believable. Yeah. <laughs> so did you hear that? Totally fine. Okay, it's, yeah. it's truck. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when it came to the magic system, I also knew that people were going to be listening to it. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to have like long drawn out explanations or like any kind of like confusing words that we've never heard before. Um, so I tried to use words that we already know, in terms of like the phrases and the tools and things like that, or, um, you know, that were like in Spanish, like the names of their deities, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Um, and then put my own spin on it, not use an existing system. Like Mm -hmm. it wouldn't have made sense to use like a more, um, like Celtic based thing for these people who came from the Caribbean to the Miami area, um, you know, and who live in this area that, it's not really governed by the four seasons. So I, I put a lot of thought into what their deities would be um, and then how they would talk about that and how they would do the magic parts. So every time I, I did do research and then I kind of took different elements of all the research I did and kind of like mashed it all up <laughs> into something that was going to work well in the story and be kind of exciting and interesting. Yeah.
1: I, I definitely feel that and it it did feel very different from like you know magic systems that you know most readers and most fantasy readers are like used to where it's more of that European based um magic system and this one just felt very very like Phoenix in a way in Australia
2: yeah and it was but just without like, making it um like steeped in Catholicism mm-hmm. either Yeah. So, yeah, but, and it was done,
1: like I said, so quickly and so, so well that it just felt like it it existed on its own and like you could pop back in hopefully soon (laughs) to to find out more, but um, I, I really enjoyed it. And like me, because I am like a huge fiend for like magic systems and things like that. Whenever I read a fantasy book, those are like the things that I tab of how the magic system works and how the world works with that. And so I thought it was very satisfying to do that in such a short time and just to feel known in that audible way because like, yeah, you're listening to it. You can't like rewind to like go back and listen to it. And then you have to go back in a book. You could just like flip a page, come back to it later and it's
2: there listen if to someone's it. driving I don't want them to have to be worrying about rewinding to hear what weird name I just let <laughs> them yeah. say for yeah. the magic stuff um yeah so yeah it had to just flow yeah
1: and um could you kind of like mention kind of quickly of like your um choosing a narrator do you have like say over that or of like, who would you want to have as a narrator? Because you've had, you had a narrator for, um, you had me at Ola and um, you're in the process of doing a lot like a, Adios for uh, an Audible. That one should already
0: be out. It's already out. I have it in, I have it on Audiobook. <laughs> I was like, I was like, sis, yeah, I already have you. it on, I, I texted you. I was thank like, you. I have it on audio. Like I have it. Shirt, shirt,
2: yeah, shirt. That is Seraphina Valentine. Um,
0: Amazing I think it's just a
2: great romance. Narrator. So she does that series, but uh What the Hex is narrated by Jacqueline Grace Lopez, who there's a little fun story there, which you know Grace because you saw our Instagram Live, where she read You Had Me at Olá last year, I guess, and had reached out to me to tell me you know that she liked the book. So we would kind of like chat a little bit on Instagram, and then when I announced this project, she put in on an audition. Uh, for it. And she just did a great job, you know, really bringing Kat and Diego and everybody around them to life. And
0: such a small world. Such a small world. So kind of, I know we're going to start wrapping up soon, but do you kind of want to like how you kind of chose, didn't really choose the um, audio narrators. Uh, What about your covers? Did you have any in say for that, for like what the hex and because like the cartoon covers I'm, I love like a lot like Adios. Oh my gosh, it's beautiful. I love it. So, like, do you have any say in that? Or, like, was it kind of like your publisher was just like here?
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, I do still have this, like, I
2: get some say in the narrators too. They're like, here are some auditions that you can listen to. Um, and with the covers, uh, I will just say that most authors, I think, do not get a lot of say mm-hmm. in their covers, but I do have a background in visual arts and computer arts, that's what my degree is in, I've done this work, Um, so I have a lot of opinions, (laughs) and I'm basically like, I will not promote a book if I don't like the cup, so, right, Mm -hmm. Um, and I have, like, a very clear vision of how I think it should be packaged, and I'm always willing to listen to other ideas, of course, or say, I don't know exactly about this kind, what do you guys think, but for both What the Hex and the Primas of Power series, I suggested those artists, Uh, Mm -hmm. Bo Feng Lin does the um, covers for You Had Me, Hola, and A Lot Like Adios, and then Maria Dresden um, did the cover for What The Hex. Uh, She's based in Spain, and Bo is in Germany, and I've been following them on Instagram for years, and had actually reached out to them both in the past about different things. Like I'd reached out to Bo um, for something, and I I couldn't afford him, but when I I knew that we were going to do illustrated covers for the series. I said, that's fine, but I want them to look a certain way. I do not want them to look like X, Y, Z. And he just knocked it out of the park, like beyond my wildest dreams, like even better than I could have imagined. And for what the heck's, I did look at other, um, audible original novellas and to see what the covers were. And I really like analyzed them and I put together this whole concept and they were like, wow, we've never received a cover concept this detailed before. I was like, I'm sorry. I just want to cover all my bases. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I said, why don't we, um, kind of make it like, you know, the way some of these reality TV posters are where you've got like some people in the front, then you got the whole family with the house and everything behind them. So I made like a mock-up of it and I could just see it in Maria's style. Like, I was like, I know she can do this and it's gonna look amazing. It's just like so cute and fun. And I wanted it to have that vibe of, um, it, is, it is a paranormal rom-com. And I knew that my readers were gonna be coming over a little bit more from the rom-com side. So I was like, let's lean on showing that it's a rom-com with magic as opposed to like a paranormal with humor because mm-hmm. what the paranormal covers look like is very different. And I felt like that would be too much of a, a jump. Um, but she just did a great job, really like getting all of the characters. And like, I sent like outfits for every single one of them on that cover. I was like, here's what they look like. Here's what kind of clothing they're gonna be wearing. You know? And then I ended up sending all of that to Jacqueline too, to give her a sense of who all of these different characters were. And Mm -hmm. she said that that was helpful in, you know, determining what kind of voices they would have. So it worked out. I'm really happy with it. It was a great project to be part of. It did
1: work out because like, honestly, those covers, I love them so much. Uh, When I first ever saw the You Had Me at Ola, I was just like, oh my gosh, this. And it's so completely different from like, you know, the the Tunish, um, contemporary romances that we see and now we have this beautiful cover but done by an amazing artist I follow him on Instagram as well so and <laughs> it, it I love the style so much and it just feels so Latinx that I'm just like yes it, and it's so different yes it's like you know tunish but it's so, it stands on its own in that like segment and it's done such a beautiful job and then like the what the hex cover I love it so much. I love like that type of like drawing style of characters where it's like it's kind of 2D but it still feels like so much emotion in those little facial reactions I thought they were pretty amazing and they were really really good. I love that Thank so much.
2: I think there's some people who think that it's like a YA <laughs> <laughs> because it's a little bit cartoonier and I'm like, oh, well, you are in for a surprise. Well, I are not definitely. Nuts. I mean, I think the blurb is pretty clear. Yeah, but
1: it's, it's definitely you know. clear. Otherwise, they would get to. For first of all, the tension in the the first closet scene, I already knew that it was going to be like one that I definitely was going to want to enjoy their re- romance because I just felt it. But yeah, you'll. If you are a YA Audible listener, you'll know pretty soon. (laughs) Yeah, you'll know pretty soon. If you're an actual child, (laughs) do listen to that one. (laughs) Please do that. So to kind of wrap up, um, because we are short on time, could you, on the topic of rom-coms, what are um, your three top rom-coms that you would recommend?
2: A hard question, okay. So, there's one for sure that I always say, The Worst Best Man by Mia Sosa.
0: Yes, yes,
2: it oh. is like, like pure rom com. It's got the rom, it's got the com, and it's just so sexy and funny. So,
0: yeah, love I that. definitely have been eyeing that one. I see it on like the shelves, and I'm like, I'm like, that looks good. I'm like, it, does it have an audiobook because I'm getting into audiobooks now and it does and I saw it on my e-library and I was like oh, I think it's time it is time so maybe yeah, I will pick time. it up because of your recommendation so it yeah.
2: is and the the heroine in it is Brazilian and they did get a Brazilian narrator for uh, <gasps> like the, the female narrator oh, that's great um, I love that Mia is Puerto Rican and Brazilian-hmm. Yeah. And it's just, it's so funny.
1: Yeah. And then, <laughs> so
2: uh,
1: Wedding Crashers is also coming out.
2: Coming out in the spring. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I am Sorry. still waiting for me to send me a copy to read. <laughs> I did get to read some of it. I, I did, but uh, yes. it won't like the actual like, work now. Um, so then the next one I would say is It Happened One Summer by Tessa Bailey, mm-hmm. which came out this summer.
0: Classics. And so good. If
2: you like Shit's Creek, the heroine in this book is very much like Alexis Rose and very lovable and also very hot. Very romantic book too.
0: Yeah. The second book, Hookline and Sinker is equally as good. Okay. It's I have so an arc good. for that on
2: my shelf. But it's,
0: I, read it I read it, I think two months ago, I got an arc for it. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, she did not hold back either again. It's, it's so wait. good. It's really um, good.
2: And then I struggled with this third one, but I'm going to go with the kiss quotient
0: we you love know, the kiss quotient here i just finished the bride test on friday and the bride test. it was so i have uh, the heart principle too i'm gonna read that soon but that that series is so good that's such a good series
2: that yeah. was the struggle whether i said kiss quotient or bride test and i was yeah. like well let me go with the first one and then they... <laughs>
0: the whole series the whole series is
2: the
1: great, whole series
0: so.
1: every one the of them in that family chef's kiss love them yeah they're awesome
0: Well, thank you, Alexis, for coming on. And thank you to all of our listeners who have been listening to this episode of the fourth week in October for us. And Grace, do you have anything else to add?
1: I wanna thank you so much for coming on. You were definitely one of the authors that I was most excited to have on because I definitely look up to you and I thank you for everything that you do. And your stories are incredible. And I just wanna say thank you. For coming
2: on. Thank you so much for, uh, for having me on for, you know, reading and helping spread the word and being number one fan of what the heck. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had a great time. These were great questions. I wish you both so much luck with your joint project. You. We'll get there. I know it.
0: Thank you <laughs> so, so much. Yes. Thank Maybe. you to everybody who has listened, and we will see you on the next one. Bye. Bye, everyone.